Good morning, Harmony. I could hear the collective groan when you saw that word politics on the screen. What do you have there, Phil? Well, however the week turned out for you, uh, today's message is about how we have to keep focusing on what's important, what's right, and what God wants us to think about when we think about our lives, our relationships, our citizenship, all of those things. Um, I was praying, I really was praying that after Tuesday, everything would just calm down. Because yes. um, I think the thing I, I was most disturbed at in this political cycle was, is not that there were people who disagree. We always disagree. And as human beings, we're very short-sighted. Uh, so we tend to always be like, well, this is the hardest election ever. And if you rewind like four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago, we're probably saying very similar things in those moments and in those times. We have a tendency to be so focused on the now that we lose perspective over the long term. But what has been ultimately disturbing about this election cycle is that instead of it being a conversation in respect, a conversation that understands that there may be people of intelligence, integrity, honor, and love on either side of the aisle, instead it has been a conversation that has been in anger and in hate. It's been a conversation where if you don't agree with me, well, you're stupid, you're hateful, you're ugly, and you're less than human. And it's when we have those type of attitudes in our conversations that we lose all ability to show the love that God asks us to show on a regular basis. So today's our last day in this series, God and Politics, and today we're talking about how we cannot be a divided house. So let's kind of recap. Over the last four weeks, we've gone through these four key pillars each time. Alan, you want to? There we go. So the first thing we said is God is Lord over everything. So is there any area of your life where you can detach the wisdom and the love of God from that area of your life? No. God involves himself in everything that is you. He involves himself in your relationships, in your finances, in your hobbies, in your entertainment, in your politics, everything. Everything for a Christian has to be through the perspective of what would my father say about this and what does his word say about this. If there's any piece of our life that we are separating from the wisdom of God, we've got a problem. That's why our God is not just our Savior, He's our Lord. Which means every single day I walk up, wake up and I realize I am the servant. I am here not to accomplish my will, I'm here to accomplish His. And so I have to be focused on what does this word say and what is my God calling me to do. Amen. So please, as you go through any decision in life, one of the very first things you should be asking is, what does my Lord say about this? Second thing we've said, Alan, can you help me out? It's going to be a busy day for you, Alan. You are a Christian first and foremost. So I've said this over and over again. The problem with America is not that less people are Christians. The problem with America is that the people who are Christians care about it least than the other aspects of their life. So it is, I am white, I'm heterosexual, I'm Republican, I'm middle class, I'm a Texan, 
then I'm a Christian. No, God cares little about those other details as much as He cares about that first and foremost, first and foremost, you are a Christian. Your ultimate allegiance in life is to Him and Him only. And that has to be the main priority that you focus on. I will never be more proud to be a Baptist. I will never be more proud to be an American. I will never be more proud to be a whatever than I will be proud to be a Christian. Amen. Because that is what defines me more than anything and everything else. And so you always have to ask yourself when you have these kind of topics, especially politics, where we tend to get so passionate for one side or the other, am I reflecting that I'm a Christian in this atmosphere? Does that come up first and foremost as I talk about this? The third thing we said, and so just ignore it because it's not going to be up there. The third thing we said is we said that God is not limited by man. God is no more powerful or less powerful today than he was last week. Whoever's in the Oval Office, whoever's governor, whoever holds any political position, it does not matter because God will still accomplish what God wants to do. Amen. And throughout the pages of that Bible, what we have seen is, is God has willed His power to come through, both in theocracies which He has ruled, and in pagan cultures where people didn't even want to acknowledge that He existed. God will make things happen no matter what. We can be confident in that always. Now the key to understanding this is, that should produce in you hope. No matter what, no matter where you stand, no matter what you face, no matter what's happened, you should be able to go, there's a hope in this heart. Amen. Why? Because I know that. Amen. I know that no matter what, my God's working, my God's will will be done, and in the end, we will be victorious because of Him. In fact, what we've often seen is sometimes in the darkest days, God is doing His greatest work. Now the last thing we said, Alan, can you jump me forward one more slide? Is we said we are to respect and submit to our government. God clearly calls to us through Scripture to be submissive to our government. Why? It is His will and His way that has put people into those positions of authority. The only time God gives His people a justification to turn against their government is when that government asks them to turn against God. So if it's either God or government, we will go for God. But unless that's what we are being asked to do, God asks His children, be submissive to the government that I establish for you. Alan, go ahead and go to the next slide for me. So today what we're going to talk about is how division leads to destruction. Division leads to destruction. Alan, you're going to just watch me and when I do this, next one, alright? You the man. Alright, open up with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 verse 24. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 22. Mark chapter 3 starting in verse 22. 
As you look at the context of this chapter, what you'll see is... Congratulations. Way to go, Alan. It's kind of like me when she tells me to do something and I lose track of that. I have the power back. All right, here we go. So what's happening in Mark chapter 3 is Jesus has just performed a bunch of miracles. His enemies, the Pharisees, are evaluating what's happening and they're trying to deal with how do we say that Jesus, who we're saying isn't the Son of God, how do we say and justify that He can do this? Because clearly, with the power He's evoking is, is power of unbelievable magnitude. How, how do we explain that He has this? And so in verse 22 of chapter 3, this is what they say. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Bezalbub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And they called him to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. So Jesus' enemies go, well, the reason he has power is Satan has given him power. And Jesus goes, let's be real here. How logical is that? Would Satan really empower me to knock his own kingdom down? Is Satan really going to give me power to cast out his own demons? If that's the case, what we know about Satan's kingdom is it will not stand very long. A kingdom that's divided against itself only has one fate, and that fate is destruction. And so what God calls us to look at here and other places in Scripture is, is if you are a people, if you are a group, if you are united together, be united. Because the moment a kingdom has to worry more about its internal attacks than it does external, they're guaranteed to lose. Have any of you been part of this at a company? You ever seen this at work? Where you're so busy fighting each other, it really doesn't matter what happens outside. There's so much strife, so much anger, so much hurt between the parties within, that group will never accomplish anything. Anybody ever seen this in a marriage? Where two parties who were used to stand strong together defending themselves now actually just defend themselves from each other? What's always dangerous about this too is the people that can hurt you the most are the ones who have loved you and known you the most. Why? Because they know everything about you. I mean, husbands and wives, do you guys have those one topics that you know you can get your spouse to like 10 on the anger scale like in like 0.2 seconds? <laughs> Right? One phrase, one word, one thing you say, and you know it's just gone nuclear in the house. Right? Not me, of course, because my house is perfect. We don't have those problems. Just don't ask Nicole. She's looking at me back there. <laughs> Everybody has these, right? Typically, it's something like you're just like your mom. Right? One of those. Right? People that we love and know, we, when we turn against each other, it gets ugly. It gets very, very ugly. 
And so throughout the pages of Scripture, God warns about this. Luke chapter 11, he says this, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. A divided household falls. To be honest, this is a message that not only is so particularly focused on our nation, but it's also focused on our churches. Do you ever drive through town and just see like a million different churches right next to each other? There's this one stretch on 410 where there, it's just like church row. There's like 12 churches on both sides of the highway. And what's funny is they're probably all small, all struggling, all wishing they had more resources, all wishing they had more people, but they can't get together. Now I'll be honest, I am not all about kumbaya and let's hold hands and sing. There are right times to be divided. There are right things that we should stand and say, I will hold true to this and I won't back down. But you know what those things are? They're these things. They're the things that are inherent to the word. They're things that say who our God is, what He stands for, what He's about, and what He's done for us. They're not things like carpet color or music that we play or any of those silly things that we tend to divide on. We've got to be a people that come together. And what's funny is you actually see this happening in churches. Have you noticed most new churches, do they call themselves by denomination? Not anymore. Most churches that are starting up nowadays are community churches or Bible churches. Why? They don't want to say, hey, we're divided. They don't want to start off by saying, hey, we only want this kind of people. And so we have to be careful as we look at what we're to accomplish. Do we fight about things that are really worth fighting for? Or are we just fighting to fight? One of my favorite quotes is from Abraham Lincoln, and he says, you do not have to participate in every battle that you are invited to. And my goodness, you'll be invited to many battles throughout the week. It's up to you, though, to decide whether you should be in it or not. Avoid those, this is God's wisdom, that says avoid those that stir up strife. So there's a fine balance, folks, between watching the news to be informed and watching the news to get angry. Watch that line. Because frankly, a lot of what you're watching on the news these days is not information. There's about 10 seconds of information and then about two hours of us yelling about that information. Avoid it. We're just angry to be angry. You know another place that's fantastic at this? Facebook. I swear there's people whose entire entertainment is let me scroll through Find a story that makes me upset and then comment. That's all they do. What's funny is we've never had a generation that so easily can communicate with each other while at the same time being so easily offended. Have you ever found yourself like in a Facebook war and you're like, I didn't even mean to do this. I remember about two years ago, Nicole posted a, a picture of a couple from Chick-fil-A and said, man, I love Chick-fil-A. Her liberal friends came out and just started yelling at her for loving Chick-fil-A. And she was like, I was just saying, I like their chicken nuggets, man. 
That's really all I was trying to say here. Okay, I wasn't trying to get into a political conversation, just saying, good nuggets, good lemonade, I'm a fan. But that happens. It's like we're constantly looking for strife. And here's part of the reason. A lot of us pent up anger and frustration and we look for any excuse to let that steam off. I'll tell you one of my daddy fails this week. Um, I had a rough day. Um, not only had a rough day, but then came home and the dog had made a mess all over the carpet. As I was cleaning up the mess that she'd made in one room, she went and made a mess in the other room. So as I'm doing this, I'm watching Jake, who's just learned to walk, right? And Jake just wants to hang out where Dad is. And so I see little dude toddling towards this disaster area he needs to get away from. And I start yelling at him, get away! And I yelled way too loud and way too hard, and he just gives you that, you know that pitiful look they give you? Yeah. Where like, they're just like, their heart is broken, like, you? I love you, Dad. How could you do this to me? <laughs> and what it was, was he caught in that moment all the frustration that I couldn't execute on kicking the dog, that I couldn't execute on breaking something, and he caught that frustration. And you know what? That's a lot of us. A lot of you are in worlds where you get trampled on, pushed around, and beat up regularly. But you're not going to talk trash to your boss. You're not going to be a bad employee. But there are people in your life that you do feel like you can mistreat. And you wait for those moments, and you let that steam off. All of us do that. All of us. What God's advice is to us is please, find the things that stir up strife and avoid them. Honestly, this is like some of the best advice in Christianity. It doesn't come from me. One of my favorite pastors, Matt Chandler, says Christianity is basically this. Find the things that stir up in you an awesome love for God and immerse yourself in them. Then find the things that distract you from God and eliminate them. That's it. That's it. You know if something's good? Ask yourself, does this rise up in me the love for God? If yes, keep that in your life. If instead what it does is it distracts you from Him, get rid of it. Throw it away. He says this about people too. Look at Titus 3, verses 9 through 11. He says this, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Yes, you try to find the middle ground. Yes, you try to find peace. But if you're running with people who will just always find reasons to fight, move on. Move on. You're not going to change them, and most likely what's going to happen is they're going to pull you down. That's why I hate some of this new stuff we watch. It's just anger and anger and anger, and guess what happens to you? You get angry too. We saw that all this week. All this week, we watched people who were upset they didn't get their way. And what happened? Didn't get my way, so I'm going to burn some stuff. I'm going to riot. 
Guess what? Every election, half of us are upset. It's pretty much the way it's been for the last 20 years. But you know what? We acknowledge it, we submit to it, we come together and we say we're one people, we're going to fight for this nation together, let's do it. Amen. We don't go do this. If we continue upon this path, we'll lose no matter who's in the White House. Because if we're divided, our enemies don't even need to worry about us. We'll kill each other. Look at Romans 16, 17 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. There are some people that their fuel is not love. Their fuel is anger, hate, and fighting. I'll be honest, I used to be this way. When I was a young Christian, I was not a good guy. And not that I didn't love the Lord, but I thought when I talked to an atheist, my job was to show them how stupid they were for not believing in God. And so I was looking, like, who wants to talk to me about why they don't believe in God? Moron, let me show you why you're an idiot. And you know what I quickly realized? Sometimes I would intellectually win, but no one really liked what I had to say or how I said it. Amen. And what nobody really saw was... Man, that Luke, he's a loving guy. Most of them walked away and said, he's kind of a jerk. It's the wrong way to be. The number one thing that you and I are supposed to reflect is love. The number one thing people should say about a Christian is, that person loves people. I may not agree with them. I may not understand them. They're kind of weird. But man, I'll never doubt that they love people. And boy, do they love their God. Watch out for those that drive you other directions. And be careful because so often they will do it in the name of God and they will do it in the name of the Word. We must stand by truth, but do so with love in our hearts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So here's what Paul's saying. He's hearing word back from the church in Corinth. And he's what he's hearing is the people in that church are arguing about which pastor they follow. And Paul goes, you idiots. Did I die on the cross for you? Did I baptize you in my spirit? Last time I checked, none of those men did what Christ did for you. Amen. You're brought together, not by a pastor. You're brought together by your Lord and your Savior. Amen. You're brought together by what happened on that cross. 
So often when we do not stand in unity, it's because our eyes have been pulled from the cross. When we realize, looking around this room, that we're here, not because of a common background, not because of a common political party, not because of a common statehood or citizenship, but because we all know personally a man named Jesus that loved each and every one of us so much that he was willing to die on that cross to forgive our sins. And that after that, he looked at each and every one of us and pulled us together and said, be part of my family. When we realize that's why we're here, all that other stuff starts to get real small. That's where our eyes have to be constantly focused. What did Christ do for us? Why are we really here? I'll be honest, there's a lot of times in a lot of churches we lose sight of this. A lot of us will sometimes get too comfortable and feel like this is our home. My church. That goes by my way that I'm comfortable at with my friends and my family. No. This is His church. That has a mission to go out and to spread the gospel across this world. It's not about comfort. It's not about a country club. It's not about your friends. It's about setting the world on fire with a love that cannot be beaten. That's what you've got to have. And the moment we find that we're focused on anything other than that, we've got problems. Disunity comes from losing sight of that cross. So we always got to put our eyes there. In fact, brothers and sisters, you know what's funny? I could sum up every sermon I've ever given on that. Do you know where peace comes from? Walking with Christ. Do you know where boldness comes from? Walking with Christ. Do you know where love comes from? Walking with Christ. Do you know where fearlessness comes from? Walking with Christ. Where unity comes from? Walking with Christ. It's very simple. Christ is the source of everything that you need. The further you are from Him and His Word, the more you will feel the pains of this earth. The closer you are right by His side, the more you will walk and you will live in His peace and in His power. So when you feel that strife eating at your heart, when you feel yourself getting bogged down by life, get next to that cross. It's where you got to go. That's where the answers are. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. One. We need to be a very simple people. We need to be a people that know what this says, and we've got to be a people that love our Lord. If we do those two things, everything else comes simple. I told you before, it's kind of funny when I get in some theological debates with other pastors or friends who have different religious views. They're like, every time I talk to you, your, your answer is, well, the Bible says... Well, the Bible says. Well, the Bible says. And I admit it. That's all I'm ever going to argue. I'm not going to argue what science says. I'm not going to argue what 
some pastor says. I'm not going to argue about what some historian says because frankly, I don't really care. I care what God says. And so when I come to decisions in my life, when we come to decisions about how we'll lead this church, I don't care about history. I don't care what others have done. I care what does God's Word say. That's it. What does His Word say? Can you say that about your lives? Can you say that about your relationships? And can you say that about the decisions that you make? That first and foremost, you go, what does this say? has to be your guide. If not, all you're asking for is problems to come your way. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. There's another reason that unity is so important. Unity is so important because what God teaches is this is not Lone Ranger faith. It's funny, in so many ways, Christianity goes so counterculture to America. In America, we love the Lone Ranger. We love the single hero that stands against injustice and with his own ingenuity, willpower, and strength defeats the forces of injustice. I mean, how many action films have you watched in your life where it's just one man standing against the forces of evil? Right? As a kid, I so badly like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that can stand against all of them and win. You know what God teaches? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No lone rangers here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What God teaches is the beauty of this group is that we're not the same. The beauty of this group is that each of us has different talents and abilities. That each of us has different personalities. That each of us has a different way that we came to our relationship with God. There are some of you here who have the testimony about sex, drugs, and rock and roll and how out of the darkness God called you to light. And there's people like me who've got boring ones. I've known God since I was an infant. My parents talked to me about Him. I have heard His wisdom all the days of my life. And frankly, I've never been that far from Him. But there's a beauty that we have that diversity of storytelling here. Because strength comes not from one person with ability, but from all of us coming together. All of us pouring in our hearts to bring us to one goal and one purpose. That's the strength. That's the strength. 
we need to remember that it's the Spirit of God and His love that is able to get past those differences. In Ephesians it says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit. So what unites us? Not our differences, but the Spirit of God that lives within us. That's what brings us together. Him. He's what unifies us. What I need to see when I look around this room is not first you and the things that make you different from me, but first see you just like me are a child of God. That you just like me had a father who died for them. That you just like me have submitted your life to him. Frankly, anything after that is but details. It's that thing that pulls us together as one family. In Colossians 3.14, if you don't see it every day you walk into church, this hangs over our doors out there. It says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The beauty of love is it sees past our mistakes. It's why your family members can be the ones you've hurt the most, but they're still the ones that care about you the most. Why? Because past every mistake, every hurt, every pain, that beautiful love just washes down and wipes all of it clean. Amen. See, the beauty of love is, is love does not require perfection. And it gives you the freedom to make mistakes because it sees past those individual failings and sins. I know people who don't know God's love and they think that getting to heaven is about being good enough. Man, the stress they carry. They carry such a heavy burden because they actually believe they have to be good enough to get to heaven. Can you imagine how awesome as a person you would have to be to earn heaven? To earn a place of no pain, no misery, no hurt, no sadness. To earn a place of perfect peace and unity and love. Can you imagine every mistake you'd make? You'd wonder, does that disqualify me? Can I, can I make up for that? See, the beauty of love, though, is is love teaches, hey, you're going to make a mistake. But love will lift you back up. See, the beauty with my kids is I know I'm going to screw up a bunch. I know I'm probably going to do things that will stick with them for the rest of their lives. You know why I know that? Because every parent does. But what I also know is, is that even when parents make mistakes, children can still look at them and go, that person loves me. No, they weren't a perfect man. No, they didn't do everything right. But you know what? That person would die for me. You know what? That person lived for me. That's the beauty of it. Love sees past all those things. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I know it sounds cliche, but you know what our country needs a lot of right now? Love. Amen, brother needs a lot of love. Somehow it's funny. We act like these people that we've worked with day in and day out, that we've shared life with day in and day out, that all of a sudden, because they didn't vote for the same person of us, that all of a sudden they're this ignorant, hateful, stupid, terrible, 
scum of the world. No. It's possible for intelligent, loving people to look at issues from different places and come to very different positions. What we need to find is a love that bridges that gap and brings us back together. And the beauty of this is, do you know what love starts with? You. I guarantee at your workplace, I guarantee in your life, I guarantee on your Facebook feed, there's hate and there's anger from everything that's been happening in our country. You know what you can be? A voice of love. A voice of peace. A voice that says, you know what? There's bigger things to worry about than this. There's greater things to be joyous about than this. What I'm hopeful is that as we enter this month of Thanksgiving, that we will let this anger pass and that we as a people will realize just how blessed we are. We as a people will realize how wonderful it is for us to have the opportunity to not only know Him, but that we even got the freedom to live in this country. So my prayer for you is that this week and every day, you will be a force of love. That you'll show people, no matter what, no matter what you disagree on, you care about them. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to go ahead and come forward so we can enter into our prayer time. You can feel free to just pray silently where you're at, or if you've got something on your heart you need to pray about, feel free to come up to front and me and Brother Joe will pray with you.